But look at Proverbs tonight, verse number eight. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those who go down, that go down into the pit. Who shall find all precious substance, we shall fill our Excuse me, we shall find all precious substance and we shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this evening. Lord, what a blessing it's been, Lord, to be in the house of God already. We've been reminded through the song service, Lord, that we are absolutely nothing, but yet you love us so dearly. Lord, we didn't bring anything to the table, God. We didn't have anything to bargain with, just our sin, our failures, and our faults. But, Lord, you gladly took those and you exchanged those. In exchange, God, you gave us eternal life. God, you gave us peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction, God, that we could not find anywhere else outside of you. And, Lord, tonight I just want to say thank you for your salvation. Thank you for grace and mercy. God, thank you for real peace that doesn't fleet in the moment. God, thank you for joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. I pray, Lord, tonight, Lord, you just take your word, God, as we've already read it, God, and uh, would you just, Lord, help it get into our hearts tonight. God, give us that what we most desperately need this evening. And God, help us, Lord, to take it and apply it and live it in our everyday life. Well, I'm thankful tonight, Lord, what we have, what we give tonight won't just work tonight, but God, it will work every day that we put it into action. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, I'm keenly aware tonight as a father that the, the longer the days go by, that sooner or later my children are going to be teenagers. I'm well aware of that tonight. Uh, Miss Raylan's the closest one there. She's 11 years old, right? She's 11 years old. <laughs> and then TR's coming behind at seven, and Shiloh's got the longest to go. But I'm well aware that those teenage years are right around the corner, and, and, I, and I know that's, that's a time that I'm supposed to dread. That's a time that I'm supposed to uh, lose my mind, go crazy, and have no idea what I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. And, and I, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not speaking from experience, but my heart's desire is that that's not the case. My heart's desire is that when my children reach teenagers and I, and I become a, a father of teenagers, that our world doesn't go crazy. But now I remember when I was a teenager, and I remember my parents raising me. I really I only have personal experience with what my parents have told me and what I, what I lived through when I was a teenager, but what you got to realize is that my children have a head start. My children have something that I did not have at their age. I had great parents. I had good parents. They took care of me. So, uh, they, 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 they supplied our needs and kept a, kept a roof over our head, loved us, no doubt about that. But my, my growing up, I wasn't raised in this kind of environment. I wasn't raised in a, in a necessarily a Bible-believing church. I, 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 we went to church, but I wouldn't say it was Bible-believing uh, there wasn't a lot of gospel being preached or there wasn't a lot of truth being applied there. And really what I had to go off of, of, of being a teenager and, and trying to figure out where I, where I fit in the world was what everybody else was doing around me and what I was watching on television. 
And here's the thing tonight, if you watch any family show on television or a, a, any sitcom that portrays a family, there, is, there hasn't been a good family dynamic since Leave it to Beaver. Right? And, and, and by the time I was a teenager, that was, that was bygones ago. And, and I remember watching those teenagers on television. They would have those arguments. and They'd go into their room. They'd lock their door and they'd sit on the couch or on their bed in their room and they would just pout and they'd say things like this. My parents just don't understand me. They just don't get me. One day I'm going to show them. One day I'm going to prove them wrong. And so that's all I had to go off of. So when my parents stood up to me and my parents put me in my place, I went into my room and said, I couldn't lock my door. <laughs> I think that's a funny thing to be able, for a kid to be able to go lock their bedroom door. <laughs> they don't own the house. <laughs> Come up there if I want to, amen. But no, no and, and my, my, my parents didn't play that. But I remember sitting in my room thinking, my parents just don't understand me. They just don't get me. One of these days, I'm going to prove them wrong. Here, here's what I was doing. When my parents would sit me down, when my parents would talk to me, when my parents would say, hey, this is wrong, and my dad would say things like this, listen, I, 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 you're not going to talk to my, your mother like that. Well, that dad, that's how everybody else talks to their mother. He said, well, you ain't going to do it. <laughs> well, I tell my mom, everybody else's parents let them go. My mom said, well, I ain't everybody else's parents. And I would get so mad and just, oh, y'all are just ruining my life. Really, they was trying to protect it. Really, they was trying to instill wisdom in me and knowledge in me that they had already learned and arrived and understood and they were just trying to give that to me. And me and my teenage years were saying, oh, they just don't know. But here tonight, we, we come to Proverbs chapter number one. We started in verses one through seven last week. And verse number eight starts off with this, this, this simple phrase, my son, go down to verse number 10, my son, verse number 15, my son. Here is Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. And he's, he's, he's took that wisdom that God has given him and he's applied it in the areas of his leadership in Israel. Israel would become at its greatest underneath Solomon and, and he had built the temple and used wisdom to construct a, a, a wonder of the ancient world. But Solomon said, that's great, that's wonderful. But if I don't take the wisdom that God has given me and, and leave it with my children, I will have failed them. Because my children don't need to know just how to run a country and how to build a temple. My children need wisdom for life. And we're going to see her tonight and, and we'll, we'll find this, the, these throughout the, the book of Proverbs. But I entitled tonight's message this, Parental Advice Part 1. Because here is Solomon and he is giving his son wisdom. Not because he's trying to hold him back. Not because he's trying to, he don't understand him. Not because he's, he's, he's trying to rain on his parade and, and he's just an old codger and he's a boomer and all those kind of things. No, he's trying to give him wisdom because he knows his son's gonna need it. Just the same way your parents tried their best to instill wisdom in you. Multiple times in Proverbs, we see the phrase, my son, Solomon's passing it down to his children. He's attempting to give some parental advice to them. So tonight we're going to look at three areas tonight or the first part of this parental advice. And now we won't do this every week from now on. We'll, we'll kind of just go through here and it, it hops from, from chapter to chapter. But notice number one, here's the first piece of wisdom that, that, wisdom that Solomon tries to pass down to his son. Number one, the responsibility of the hearer. Look at verse number eight. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace 
uh, unto the, thy head and chains about thy neck. Now, what is Solomon trying to say here? Solomon's trying to say, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to, to, to pass this, this wisdom on to you, but, but son, it's up to you to apply it. Right, because a lot of that stuff that my parents tried to pass down to me and my parents were trying to instill in me, I, I've had to sit back and realize they were right. Because the same way my father would say, hey, you're not gonna talk to your mother that way is the same way I'm gonna sit down with my children or I had to tell my, you ain't gonna talk to your mama that way. Right, because that's not how we are to communicate but notice here in verse number eight, here's the wisest man who ever lived. Right, in essence, because of that wisdom, he could have stepped back and said, well, nobody else gets an input. Nobody else has anything else to say. But if you look at verse number eight, what does Solomon say? Hear the instruction of thy father, which would have been him, and forsake not the law of thy mother. In essence, here is Solomon saying, yes, I've, God has given me great wisdom, but he's not the only, I'm not the only one that he's given wisdom to. And so in essence, what Solomon was saying here is, hey, you need to listen to me and your mama because we're, we're trying to teach you things that if you apply and you practice, they will benefit you. But what I notice here is if the wisest man who ever lived was willing to include his wife in on this, then we can learn tonight that parenting a child isn't a one-person thing. It's not a one-party job. In essence, tonight, if you look at your marriage and jobs, this is my job in the marriage and this is her job in the marriage and we don't do each other's jobs. You're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for discontentment because let me ask you tonight, how many of you work a job that you, you, you enjoy? It's not necessarily the best job you've ever had but it's not the worst job you ever had. Right when I was working in the cabinet shop, it wasn't a bad job, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed being able to build things but if you would have given me the choice to either be there and make money or just spend time with my family and make money, goodbye cabinets, right? Because here's the thing, a job will always, no matter how fun it is in the beginning, a job will always become a job. But rather, look at your marriage, look at your family. It's not a job. It's not a, just something we clock in and we clock out. It's a ministry that's given us, right? It's given a, a, a special, I preach, I don't have no ministry. Yes, you do. Right, either if you're married, you have, yeah, you have a, a ministry to your spouse and a ministry to your children and to take care of them and to, to instill wisdom in them. So here, Solomon actually uses a good bit of the Proverbs to address his son, my son, my son. His wisdom benefited many, but he made sure it would benefit his, uh, his, own, his son as well, his children as well. But the application was left to the son. The same is true in your life as you study the book of Proverbs and you read through it and as we go through it, there'll be a lot of wisdom that we'll pull out of God's word and we'll say, man, that is good. That is so true. That's what I've been wondering about. But if you don't apply it, what good is it? Right? And so in essence, he's saying, listen, here's the responsibility to, to apply what you hear. Notice verse uh, underneath this tonight. He told him to hear. Hear what? The instruction of thy father. He said, son, if you don't hear anything else, if you don't take nothing away else away from it, make sure you listen to my instructions. Right? Don't tune me out. Don't let distractions keep you from hearing. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. And can I say that? All that's still great advice for believers. Right, to, 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 to hear the instruction of our Father. Our Heavenly Father has given us a book, 66 books within it, full of wisdom and truth and application. 
And we hear it week after week, service after service, but are we actually listening to it? Or are we just letting it go in one ear and out the other and not letting it stop in our heart in between? We see here tonight that, that if we're gonna get wisdom. Hey, we, we need to learn to not tune out godly sources of wisdom in your life. Oh, preach, I've heard this before. You're not telling me anything new. You're not telling me anything I haven't heard of. Uh, I preach, I, 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 I might as well just leave. I, I, I'm spiritually above this crowd. I don't have anything. You, you're not teaching me anything, preacher. Did you know that Jesus went to church? He went to the synagogue regularly? Why, it's the right thing to do. Here's the thing. If Jesus would have walked into the synagogue, I heard a preacher say it this way, if he would have walked into the synagogue and said, huh, I'd never heard that. You know, it'd be wrong. Because Jesus knows everything. And so tonight, don't, don't allow yourself to tune out godly wisdom in your mind, even if you've heard it before. If you're like me, listen, I, I probably didn't catch it the first time. Say it three more times so I can get it down. Don't let the distractions keep you from hearing. Let me ask you tonight, how many times, now listen, I, I'm not trying to be, be mean or nothing like that. How many times have we come into service and everything else is on our mind except for what's being taught and what's being preached and said from the word of God? I've been there. Listen, I've been there. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to come in from work and to be dog tired and, and to go sit in the sound booth and bow my head to pray during prayer and wake up. I know what that's like, but at the same time, there, there's, there's got to be a desire in our heart. So you know what, just for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I'm putting everything else out of my mind. Listen, the problem's gonna be there when I get home. I probably need to listen because I might just get what'll help me to solve the problem. So you see, don't let distractions keep from Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Notice this, he told them to hear on purpose. Then he told him to forsake not. Forsake not what? The, 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 excuse me, verse number eight, forsake not the law of thy mother. That word forsake means to, to thrust off, to, to throw down, to cast down, to, to say, you know what? I'm done with this. I've got better ideas. I've got, I've got, I've got big ideas. I got big dreams and I can't take what mama told me. I, I got to get rid of that. Solomon said, oh, don't do that. He said, because what your mama's taught you is good. What your mama's instilled in you is right. Can I say tonight to you young people that are here tonight because mama and daddy said, go get ready for church. And you got ready for church and maybe in your mind you think, why do I have to come? Why do I have to come? Having godly parents isn't a burden. It's a blessing. It's a blessing tonight to have godly parents that are willing to do what is right for you. So don't forsake this. Listen, when you get old, you're going to have to make the choice because one day mama's going to say you don't have to go no more because you'll be out of her house. Daddy won't have that pull on you to come in no more because you won't be underneath his roof no more. And you're going to have to make the choice. Am I going to just go do my own thing and forsake everything they, they tried to instill in me or am I going to follow after God? But they tried to teach me how to do. He told them don't forsake it, to hear them on purpose. And here's why he told, look at verse number nine, he spoke of the reward. Look at verse number nine, for they shall be an ornament of grace under thy head and chains about thy neck. A crown and a chain. Preacher, well, how is that a reward for abiding and applying wisdom in my life? Here's the thing tonight, those in Jewish culture, I read somewhere in Jewish culture that one of the greatest rewards or an award a man could get would be a crown to be put on his head. 
That was one of the greatest things they killed. And here Solomon said, listen, if you take wisdom that me and your mother have instilled in you, which comes from God, and you, you practice it and, you, and you, you apply it and you live by it, he said, it'll give you something that you can't find in the world. It'll give you something that, that you can't find anywhere else. Here's the thing. When you and I, when you and I, I, I follow godly wisdom, when you respect godly, remember the beginning of wisdom, what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of God tonight, respect, honoring the Lord. When you and I do that, godly wisdom will cause you to be respected. You may not get a brand new car, or you may not have the nicest house, you may not get the jumbo jet, but how many of us know some wise people in our life and we thoroughly respect them? Because wisdom is evident in their life. Here Solomon said, listen, if you apply these things, you, won't, you, you, you will become someone who is respected, not because you're better than anybody else, but because they see wisdom being in your life. I remember being in high school, and uh, there was a young man by the name of Vic. He was in the special ed class. And Vic would always stand in the hallway during class change. And uh, he was on the, the special ed classes were on 400 Hall. I had to go there twice a day. One for history class, one for ROTC. And I'd always pass by Vic. And he'd be out there in the middle of the hallway just hollering at everybody. Like, hey, man, what's going on? What y'all doing? Hey. <laughs> he was always trying to find a lady. <laughs> hey, girl. That's how he said it. It wasn't G-I-R-L. It was G-U-R-L. Hey, girl. And I always walked by him and, and, and because of my upbringing, I, I always tried to, you know, talk to, to people who have special needs and, and to make them feel normal, amen, and, and to, to incorporate them. And I always, hey, Vic, what's going on, man? What's going on? He always gave me one of them handshakes, Jordan. Not, he wouldn't come and say, hey, Tate. He wouldn't do nothing. It was one of them handshakes. Vic would always, that's how it always was. Hey, girl, hey, Tate. I said, Vic, what's going on? And one day, Vic came to school, a big gold chain around his neck. <laughs> And I kid you not, it had the Lord's Supper on it. <laughs> you walked in, I said, the Lord has aligned the service. But not only did it have the Lord's Supper on it, Vic could take that thing and he could spin it. That was all the rage back in the day. I had chains that could spin. And I, <laughs> he, I came, well, I said, Vic, look at that chain. He said, watch this. That thing, he started spinning that thing. He said, I'm going to get me a girl now. So I don't know about that, Vic. I don't know about that. What are, you, what are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say this is he had a chain. It looked expensive. It looked valuable. But ain't no parent going to send their kid to high school with something that valuable. On good and well, someone's going to take it from them. And sometimes in our life, listen, the world's going to try to sell you wisdom. They're going to try to sell you knowledge scientific fact and understanding. Ain't nothing but a fake chain. You're going to look foolish with it. Whereas if you follow godly wisdom tonight, he'll give you an ornament the world can't take away. Let me ask you tonight, have you, have you been responsible with what you've heard preached from the word of God? Number one, the responsibility of the hearer. Number two, the reach of the wicked man. The reach of the wicked man. Look at verse number 10. My son, sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Goes on down to verse number 14, cast in not a lot among us, let us all have one purse. In verse number four, if sinners. Well, preacher, aren't we all sinners? 
And we all sinners preach it? Well, yes, we are, but as a saved individual, there is now a desire in my heart because that's where the Holy Spirit lives. I don't want to sin no more, right? I have that desire. I don't want to do those things anymore. Paul talks about this struggle in the book of Romans, how the things he wants to do, he doesn't do the things he should do. He doesn't do them. The things he doesn't want to do, he does those. And Paul said there's, there's a great struggle going on. That's our new nature. That's why as as a believer, yes, you can say I'm a sinner, but make sure you add to the end of that, saved by grace. Because I'm not who I used to be. I'm a new creature. I'm a new man. God has changed me from the inside out, and now there's new desires in my heart, and I want to serve God, and I want to live for God. But yes, I do have a flesh. And yes, I do struggle with that. But here when we see it in, in Proverbs, when he says when sinners entice thee, he's not talking about those who have been saved by grace and are trying to serve the Lord, but rather those who live and breathe and eat and, 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 and desire and dream about sin. That is who they are, much like me and you were before we got saved by grace. And, but the sinners here, have, 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 uh, have, here are controlled and led by that sinful nature. They don't struggle with the desire to do right. They don't struggle with the desire of knowing that's wrong and I ought not to do that. They don't, do, they don't struggle with Holy Ghost conviction because it ain't there. Well, I just want to thank God tonight for the struggle, amen. One of the greatest things you'll ever do as a Christian is struggle with your old nature. Why? It's a great reminder that you're saved by the grace of God because lost men don't struggle with their nature. They just do as they've always done. That's why when I look out at the, the, the society, when I watch the news and I watch what's going on in, in Washington, yes, I get aggravated, but at the same time, I think they're just sinners acting like sinners. Pray to God that they, that they get saved by the grace of God. But notice here now, so when Solomon said, hey, when sinners, son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Notice, notice, notice the approach of the wicked. Notice they, they entice. Look at verse number 10. We've already read it. My son, if sinners entice thee, that word entice means to allure, to persuade. It's based off of emotion, right? It, it feels good. It sounds good. It tastes good. It, it's a good time. It's, 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 it's something wonderful. You ever watch an alcohol commercial? How come none of them people ever look drunk on it? Right? They're having a great time. There is no bloodshot eyes. There is no belligerent drunks. There's no fighting or cussing going on. They're having a wonderful time. But how many of us tonight have been around or been drunk ourselves and we know that's not how it really is? I don't want to ever go back there. But they entice thee, right? It, it, here's the thing tonight. If it looks bad, me and you don't want to do it. Right? If it smells bad, we don't want that. But if it looks good and if it smells good, and it appears good. Something entices us. Here's the thing. Tonight, I don't care how spiritual you are tonight. I don't care how long you've been saved. The devil knows exactly what little shiny thing to wave in front of you to say, hey, come here. Right? He, he knows who to put in your path. He knows who entices you. We're only enticed by things that look good. And so tonight, the, the step of the, the first step of the wicked is they entice, but then they make it exciting. Look at verse number 11. If they said, come with us, let us lay wait for the blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. 
Verse number 12, let us swallow them up alive as the grave and as whole and as those that go down into the pit. Make it sound exciting. Lay wait for blood, right? Lurk privately, sneak around. That sounds suspenseful. That sounds exciting. Oh, you're one of them Christians, aren't you? You live that boring life. You go to church, you pray, you read your Bible, and you do it week after week after week. That sounds so boring. Why don't you come with me? I can show you something exciting. I can show you some fun, something suspense. Oh, it may not be right, but you only get in trouble if you get caught. Matter of fact, that's what makes it exciting. Whether or not you get caught or not. Here's the thing. If you don't stop at the enticing stage, you consent to it. If you say, okay, tell me more. Right? It's like going into a car dealership. <laughs> tell me something more about it. They always I'll tell you something more about the car. We bought the Flex, and that guy said, I was looking through the back of it, and all this kind of, it has this little scratch on the back of it on the inside where somebody's loading something in a scratch. He said, that's the kind of stuff you're looking for in a used car. I just sat there and thought, what? What kind of sales pitch is that? Let me kick out the headlight. That's what you're looking for in a used car. But here's the thing, if you don't stop the enticing, you don't step back and say, Lord, that looks good, but I know it ain't right. Pretty soon, they're going to be able to talk you into this exciting. It's fun. It's mysterious. Come do it with us. Here's the thing tonight. Don't you know being a Christian's born, that's all you do? Why don't you just live? Why don't you live on the edge? Right? Now 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 you're enticed, but now you're excited. But then they even make it sound rewarding. Here's the thing tonight. Satan always has an imitation for what God has already promised. Right? Verse number nine, we're already told if we, if we act in wisdom and we apply wisdom in our life, there's ornaments of grace and there's ornaments of crowns and, and chains to be, to that, that's what wisdom will provide for us, a great respect amongst people. Here's the thing about the wicked, well, we got a reward too. And it ain't no proverbial crown or chain around your neck. Look what it says right there in verse number 12. Excuse me, verse number 13. And we shall find all precious substance and we shall fill our houses with spoil. How's that, how's that crown doing for you that nobody can see? Well, you come over here, we can give you something that you can actually touch, feel, taste, spend. We, we can give you something that you can actually enjoy. <laughs> Look at verse number 12. He said, not only can we give you something, we can give you revenge. Look at verse number 12. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down to the pit. World says, the wicked man says, hey, listen, I can give you a reward. Yeah, I can give you spoils. I give you gold. I can give you money. I can give you all those things. Here's the thing tonight. When you think about the riches of this world, whether you have them all or if you don't have any of them, and that's all you're concerned about, both of those lead to misery. Both of those lead to misery. If you have it all, you'll still be miserable. If you don't have nothing, you'll be miserable because you don't have anything. If that's all you're concerned about. They make it sound rewarding. And they make it sound like they want you. Look at verse number 14. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one. We end this together. We're for life. I'll always have your back. I won't ever rat you out until things change. Until the spoils are gone. And then I never knew you. I'll say you out in a, in a, in a hot second. But here's the thing tonight, Christ is the opposite. 
Christ wants us, but he's already done everything. He's already did the work. And he said, I want you for you. I don't want you for what you can bring. I don't want you for, for what you think you're capable of doing. I want you for you. And if you accept me, I'll never leave you. I'll always be there with you. We see the reach of the wicked. They entice, they excite, they make it sound rewarding, and they make it sound like they're inclusive. We really want you. No, they don't. Are you willing to be honest with, the, what, it, with what entices you tonight? So you'll be willing to ask for strength to consent not. The notice number three tonight will be done. The reality of wickedness. The reality of wickedness, verses 15 through 19. Now, you've heard me say this before, and I, I still stand by. I, I believe the Bible is black and white. What do you mean by that, preacher? I, I believe it says what it says, and it means what it says. If it calls it wrong, it calls it wrong. If it's right, it's right. If it's this, then it's this. And if it's that, it's that. I believe it's black and white tonight. Now, there's some who say, well, the Bible's full of gray areas. And here's, here, here's my rebuttal to that. Here's my, my recourse to that. To sound educated tonight. How come the gray areas never lead towards spiritual things? Or they never lead towards righteousness? Or holiness? Or those kind of things? It always leads to an excuse or excusing a sin or something that is wrong. They never lead towards the Lord or, or godliness, holiness, or righteousness. It's okay to do it this instance even though it's wrong everywhere else. No, it's wrong. Right? It's wrong tonight. And, and here's the thing. Well, preacher, why is that so important? Because if you and I don't allow the principles of the Bible to be black and white, how do you build your life? You can't build your life on gray areas. You have to build your life on a solid rock. You have to build your life on solid truth tonight. And, and here tonight, verses 15 through 19, we see the reality of wickedness. When you and I choose to entice and choose to follow after the wickedness that has been presented to us, the wrong that's presented to us, notice number one, you're going in the wrong direction. Look at verse number 15. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from the path. Why? They're heading the wrong direction. Heading the wrong direction. Listen, we're headed to heaven as, as, as saved individuals, as born-again believers. We know where we're headed. Why in the world would we want to walk in the wrong direction? Knowing good and well, we'll never go there because we're saved by grace. In essence, when we're in that path, we'll be saying, hey, y'all are going the wrong way. Don't go. You don't have to go. There's a greater way. There's, there's real salvation. There's real love. It's in Jesus. Well, preach, if I say that, they're not going to let me walk with them. You're going in the wrong direction. The Bible says their path, their path is not your path tonight. We are on the path of the redeemed tonight. Well, our path is found in Psalms 119, which is, which is the word of God. It's a light under my path. Right? It, it, it illuminates the way I'm supposed to go. And here's the thing tonight. Also, what we realize tonight is that if you and I start walking down the wrong path, it's just not going to fix itself. Right? Because look at verse number 15. What to say? My son, walk not thou in the way with them. But look at verse number 16. For their feet run to evil. In essence, if you're going to keep up with them, you're going to have to go from walking to running. We try and say it's going to get out of hand real quick. It'll be more than you can handle in just a second. If you pursue down that way, you're going in the wrong. Well, preacher, how does it, how does it get fixed? Well, there's only one way. It's called repentance. Getting that right with God, agreeing with God. Lord, this is the wrong direction. I don't need to walk this way no more. Lord, I want to go back walking with you. So we see tonight that the reality of wickedness, you're going in the wrong direction. 
Here's another reality of, of, of allowing the wickedness into your life or following after it. You always get hurt. You always get hurt. Look at verse number 17. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. My kids were, had a desire at one point to try to catch a bird with their bare hands. My father-in-law told them, well, the, the way to do that is you get close to them, you sprinkle a little salt on their tail, and you can catch them. And I always thought that was odd. Like, bro, it, it took me a while to figure out. I thought, what? Putting salt on their tail? That don't do nothing. My father-in-law was like, well, if you can get close enough to put salt on their tail, you're close enough to catch them. Like, oh, <laughs> that makes sense. Why you got to put salt on their tail? <laughs> right? But that's what, what Solomon's saying here. He said, hey, listen, you think that you're wise, you think you're smart, but really, he said, when you and I choose to follow after weakness as if we're trying to catch a bird and say, hey, bird, here's the net, hop in. Ain't no bird in his right mind going to do that. Right, but here's the thing, you'll all, it, it's vain. It won't produce what you think it's going to produce. And look at verse number 18. It said, and they lay wait for their own. No, 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 their, 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 their own blood? In the, the, in the privy of their, their own lives? No, back in the earlier part of the chapter, they said they was getting them other people. They was catching them other people. God, and Solomon says through the word of God tonight that no, when you and I pursue weakness, you don't, you don't get what you think you're getting. You hurt yourself. Your own blood, your own life. It was them and those in verse number 12, but verse number 18, it's us, own, ours. When you pursue wickedness, you'll always get hurt. You're going in the wrong direction. But here's the thing tonight. When you and I pursue witness or wickedness, our hearts, our heart's condition will be revealed. Look at verse number 19. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which take away the life of the owners. There are everyone that is greedy of gain. Heard a preacher say recently, you never find anywhere in your Bible where Satan is drinking, Satan is smoking or Satan's fornicating. He said, but in your Bible, you'll find Satan saying things like this, I will be like God. Ezekiel, I think you'll find him seven times. He says, I am, I, I will be, I'll be just like God. There's two things we find Satan in the scriptures doing. One is being filled with pride. And two is lying, being deceitful. Thou shalt not surely die, right? But what we see tonight is that we see that very heart. When you and I, pursue after wickedness, that which God has not prepared for us, that God does not desire for us to have. When you and I say, you know what, I want that instead of what God is saying, you're saying, I know what I need better than God knows what I better than him. My heart isn't right. God hasn't given me everything I want, so I'm going to pursue after this so I can have it. Greedy of gain tonight. When our hearts become greedy, there isn't a lie we won't tell ourselves. I deserve to be bitter. I deserve to, to live and act in anger. I deserve to be vengeful. I deserve to satisfy my flesh. I deserve to watch this. I deserve to partake of this. I deserve to smoke this. I deserve, the list goes on tonight. And what we're saying is our hearts are real greedy because God has already told us he'll provide all of our needs for us. He has everything that we'll ever need tonight. So it's foolish for us to go after something that we know is wrong. Oh, preacher, if they wouldn't just bring it by me, if they wouldn't do that around me, if they wouldn't say those words, if they wouldn't act that way, 
then I wouldn't struggle with it, preacher. What it's all going to say, if sinners entice thee. They're just being sinners. It's not their fault tonight. It's when you and I allow that enticement not to be dealt with, it reveals our heart saying, they got something that I know God doesn't want me to have, but I'm going to go get it because I want it. I don't care about what God wants. I want to do my own thing. It's not the sinner's fault. It's ours for not keeping our heart in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. The reality of weakness, it will always reveal the condition of your heart. Let me ask you, are you willing to repent so you don't have to experience the painful realities of wickedness tonight? Let's all pray this evening. Let's all stand tonight, every head bowed, every eye closed.